0: Okay, I'm going to pass out a gift to you. This is, I'm going to show you something in a minute. This is a hymn, another All Saints Day hymn, that has a very interesting history to it. Here, Jason, take these for, for them back there. How many of you know the hymn, Oh, How Blessed Are They Whose Toils Are Ended? Does anybody know that one off the top of their head? It's not very well known, is it? But I'm going to teach it to you here. And uh, this is an old, it was written in the 1600s, so you know it's good. Anything older than 300 years, if it's still around, must be worth preserving. That's one of the advantages of time. You guys can share um, Time has a way of sifting out the good from the bad and the really good from the just decent. Pass one back to Kim there, would you? Can you share? I need a copy too. Uh, But for those of you who tell me that the hymnal is too small, I have something to show you. This is what your great-grandparents brought to church. Okay, this is called the Evangelische Gesangbuch. Todd, translate. Evangelische, Evangelical, Gesangbuch. songbook. 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 The ev- it's the hymnal. It's, and Evangelical is, that was the original term for the Lutherans. Okay, so it's the Lutheran hymnal. Now, what's so great, I'm going to pass this around. I think, uh, Sue, this came from either you or Walter, um, This is what, like, C.F.W. Walther would have used. So um, you can always tell a Baptist when they come to church, what do they bring with them? A Bible. Bible. You can always tell a Lutheran because Lutherans bring their hymnals, or they used to, right? We don't do that anymore. But it used to be everybody had their copy of the hymnal, and you could put it in your pocket. It doesn't quite fit in there. But you could bring your hymnal with you, and when it was time to sing, the pastor would say, number 589. And you could read the hymn right out of there. So I'm going to pass that around. And, of course, then in 1941, they made it a little bit bigger. 1941, this is the, you know what this one's called? The the Lutheran Hymnal. The Lutheran Hymnal, T-L-H. And I think we used this here at St. Paul's for many years. Um, Then there was a blue one, a light blue one that nobody really liked in 1980. I mean that, nobody liked it. Organists didn't like it, pastors didn't like it, Um, congregation members didn't like it. So in 2006, they made a new one, and that's the one that we use. It's this color, which is the standard Lutheran color now. Burgundy, light purple, purplish red, the color of a bruise. That's what it is. But this hymn that's in front of you has always been in our hymnals, Oh, how blessed are they whose toils are ended, except the verses in italics. The guy who wrote it wrote all these verses, but when the hymnal um, committee got hold of it, they chopped out the verses in italics. And the reason they did that is, one, to save space. Who's got the hymnal? If your hymnal is that big, you've got to save space. So they said, these verses are unnecessary, we don't need them. And once it gets chopped out of one hymnal, then it gets chopped out of all the subsequent hymnals, Okay, which is too bad, because what this hymn is, is a conversation between the saints on earth and the saints in heaven. So the italicized verses, and I think this is probably what the committee thought, was, well, that might be a little bit strange. If people got the idea that the saints in heaven talked to us, because that might open the door to all kinds of weird, um, you know, and that's true. If you try to consult the dead, we call that, what's the technical term for talking to dead people? Necromancy or divination. And the Bible says, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. But this is a poetic way of thinking about if the saints in heaven were to tell you what it's like, what would they say? And uh, what what we're going to do is we're going to chop the room in half. This half of the room are the the earthly saints, okay? And if you're on this side of the line, you're the heavenly saints, okay? So earthly saints over here, you still have lots to work on. Heavenly saints, you're at rest. And we're going to, I'm uh, both, <laughs> I'm on earth, I have one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. What we're going to do is uh, sing this back and forth. We won't do the whole thing, but I just want you to get a feel for it. Let's, we're going to do verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, and then you can just take it home. I don't want to spend all our time, but here's what it sounds like. Oh,
1: how blessed are ye whose toils are ended, who through death have unto God ascended. Ye have arisen from the cares which keep us still in prison. And I'm going to sing with both of you, okay?
0: So both the earthly saint and the heavenly saints. And uh, just notice how it sings back and forth. And the... The kind of concerns of the earthly saints and the answer of the heavenly saints. It's a great little exercise for All Saints Day. Okay, so you ready, earthly saints? Here we go.
1: Oh, how blessed are ye whose toils are ended, who through death have unto God ascended. Ye have arisen from the cares which keep us still in prison. Heaven's answer. Truly we to glory have arisen from all cares that held us in a prison. Earthly toil ended, we unto our God are now ascended. Earth's answer. We are still as in a dungeon living, still oppressed with sorrow and misgiving, Our undertakings Are but toils and troubles and heartbreakings Heaven's answer We no more as in a dungeon wander God has taken us to heaven yonder Tears and frustrations are the sum of earthly expectations.
0: So it keeps going like that. I'm suspecting something's wrong with the tune I gave you. I'm missing a note or something in there. Um, but I just like that hymn. I like that little back and forth. I like when we, we do the women and the men. It's always great to have just the ladies' voices and just the men's voices. And um, it'd be great to one day have the choir up in the choir loft, right, Kent? Have the choir sing heaven's part and have the congregation sing earth's part. Um, Anyways, take that home. That's my gift to you on All Saints Day. You can never say that I'm not generous. See how generous I am? An old treasure brought out for you. Okay, turn in your Bibles, then, to Genesis. We are in chapter 21 of Genesis. Isaac has been born, the son of promise, and Ishmael, the son of the flesh, has been exiled. And we will pick it up with this discussion of The wells of water. Because for some reason, the Bible is very interested in wells of water. Everybody see that in Genesis 21? Let's pick it up at verse... um, Look at verse 18. Okay? Look at verse... We'll start in the middle of the action. In the middle of the thing. Always a good storytelling device. God is speaking to Hagar... And where is she? In the desert, in the wilderness. And she's in the wilderness of a place called Beersheba. Everybody say Beersheba. We're going to talk about beer today. In Hebrew, where's Max? Max is our resident he- Hebraic scholar. Max, what does beer mean in Hebrew? It has to do with drinking. It means a well, a well of water. So anytime there's a city that's called Beer something or other. It is because there was a famous well there, okay? So we're going to read today why it's called Beersheba, okay? The name in Genesis 21, it's not called that yet. It's just the wilderness. It hasn't gotten its name yet, Um, but what we're going to read about today is why it is known as Beersheba, okay? And so if we keep uh, reading on here, God says to Hagar, up Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, at verse 18, for I will make him into a great nation. Who's him? Ishmael. Ishmael. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. Now, why doesn't it just say, this is good practice at paying attention to the way the Holy Spirit talks. Why doesn't it just say, she saw water? What's emphasized here? It's divinely given, right? She, God has, and it's repeated, God opens her eyes and she sees. You could, if all we were interested in is just the bare details, let's tell uh, the facts, just give me the facts, right? Um, then it would just say, she saw a well of water. But we want to see this is a divinely provided well of water. And even the, the vision of it has to be given by God. Otherwise, Hagar's not going to find it. This is miraculous stuff, okay? So she opens her eyes, she sees the water, she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. Now, why that detail is there, I don't know. There's many things that uh, I have not figured out in the Bible. One of you has to figure out why the focus on the bow and arrow and you can tell us next week. Sound good, Keith? Okay. All right, Keith's doing it. Um, he volunteered. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Okay? So let's get the overview, the view from a mile above. A son of Abraham goes into exile. What happens to him in exile? He grows. He's miraculously saved, and he grows up. And he gets himself a wife from Egypt. Son of Abraham, exile, he's provided for. Now, the the life of Abraham, this happens often in the Bible. What happens with the first gets repeated in the second. Um, Or the leader, his life gets repeated in the followers. Think of Moses. Moses is a great example of this. What happens when Moses is a baby? Pharaoh wants to kill him, right? Along with all the little boys. And so what happens to him? his mom tosses him into the river, and he's saved through the river. Now, what happens to Israel when they follow Moses? Pharaoh tries to kill him, and they're saved through the river. See? The life of the leader gets repeated in the followers. Leader, fact, there's the, It's like the head and the body. Whatever happens to your body, it's like when you're born. You're, <laughs> that's a weird thought. Um, <laughs> think about babies all the time, but the first, the head goes through, and then comes the body, right? And it's the same pathway. We follow in the footsteps of those who have gone before us. So same thing happens with Abraham. Abraham's life. We could, find, we could do this with all the stories. All these details, all these things that happen with Abraham and his sons, they are um, foreshadowings of the life of Israel. And that's not just true with Isaac. It's also true with Ishmael. Okay? Now, Isaac is the, the real son. Isaac is the one that counts, but Ishmael is not you know, just useless. Ishmael's own life serves as a foreshadowing of Israel going into exile and being provided for. When did that happen to Israel? Who took them into exile? He had a great name. Well, the Assyrians did first, but the, the bigger exile is by a guy, you know his name, you just don't want to say it because you're afraid to pronounce it, Nebuchadnezzar. We call him Chad for short. Nebuchadnezzar was a true Chad, if you know that term. He was a king, he was the emperor of Babylon. He carries them off into exile and they think, woe is us, there's no way we're going to make it. By the rivers of Babylon, there we laid down our harps. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And sure enough, they're provided for. They're taken care of, just like Ishmael. Okay. Now, for uh, Ishmael, the salvation comes through the well of water. And now we're going to hear the story of what else happens at this well of of water. So first Ishmael is saved through it. The son of Abraham is saved at the water. Now uh, we get a little more of the story. Who wants to read for us? Uh, 21. Let's get the whole thing. 22 through 34. Any volunteers? Go for it, Ben.
2: At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do.
0: All right, pause. I'm going to interrupt you a bunch. Yep. Okay. Where, what, where have we seen Abimelech before? What was he doing last time he talked to Abraham? Took Sarah. Stealing his wife, right? And that didn't work out too well for him because what happened? When he stole Abraham's wife? Everyone went barren. Everyone went barren. God closed the wombs and he had a nightmare. He learned the fear of the Lord. This is what we pray that our leaders have nightmares. We want God to give them nightmares so that they learn the fear of the Lord. And I'm not even joking. That would be great. Uh, if, if people learn the fear of the Lord, it doesn't matter how they learn it. It could be in a nice, gentle way, like your dad tells you, Son, in this house we fear the Lord. Cool. But if your dad won't do that for you, then sometimes God has to come to you in a dream and say, You're a dead man. Right, You stole this man's wife. You're a dead man. Okay, So Abimelech learns the fear of the Lord. And what did he do with Abraham's wife, Sarah? Gave her back. Gave her back. And not only did he give her back, he gave her all kinds of stuff. Right? And he said, this will be a sign. This will be your veil. It's like I'm restoring your wedding day veil. I haven't violated her. And all, this, all these gifts I'm giving you are proof so that everybody knows that I didn't touch her. That's, he learned the fear of the Lord, right? God put the fear of the Lord in him through that nightmare. Okay? And now, what is he saying to Abraham? Not only do I fear the Lord, but you're the guy, Abraham, and I want to be in with you. What do we call this when the Gentiles come to the Lord and bless his church? What do we call that? Conversion. We call this the Gentiles coming to faith. Okay. Now this doesn't sound like uh, you know Abraham did not have a tent revival and he preached a sermon and uh, Phicol and Abimelech walked the aisle. Um, Has anybody ever walked the aisle? Do you know what I mean by that? No. Who did? Bernie. Yeah. What does walking the aisle mean, Bernie? uh, Devoting your life to Christ. It's the altar call. Okay, and you walk down the aisle. Oh, I thought I was talking to Baptists, but I guess you're Lutherans. Even better. Anyways, uh, he, this is not, it's not evangelism like we see it today, but it is evangelism. God blesses Abraham and makes Abraham a blessing to everyone else. And when the Gentiles recognize that, they come to Abraham and they make an alliance with him or a covenant with him, a pact, whatever word you want to use here. Um, But we should see this, I think, in your footnotes. If you have the Lutheran Study Bible, they kind of miss the point. They say that this is a story of Abraham getting along with the government. Okay, I don't think, I don't see that. This is a story of the government getting along with Abraham and saying, we want you to stay here. And what's implied then is not only do we, you know, recognize that God blessed you, Abraham, but we want to serve him too. We want to worship with you, Abraham. We want to serve the Lord who gives blessings the way you. Please teach us. Okay, And Abraham's going to. So, any questions on that or thoughts there? We did not see that before. There is another story of uh, a man trying to steal Abraham's wife. Remember who did it before? Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh gave Sarah back, he told Abraham, please go away. Right. I don't like this. Um, I don't like what happens when you're around um, because I have to humble myself. I get these weird nightmares. Um, Please go away. And so now Abimelech shows us that Abraham, God's blessing of Abraham is actually, you know, quote unquote, working. The Gentiles are coming to faith. All right. Keep reading, Ben.
2: Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear.
0: Now, what was the original promise God gave to Abraham back in chapter 12? In you and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Okay. And so when the nations come to the church, I want to make sure that you all hear me, when the nations come to the church, they are blessed. Abraham's seed is, does not mean just the descendants, the physical descendants of Abraham. The seed of Abraham is the faithful ones. So when the nations come to the church, they receive blessings. When the nations support Israel, maybe they receive blessing. I mean, the nation of Israel. Maybe they receive a blessing, or maybe not. The promise in Genesis 12 doesn't have anything to do with that. It has everything to do with Abraham and the faithful, the seed, the church. Okay, keep going.
2: When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said... I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines.
0: Okay, so here we get this dispute. There's some argument. Whose well is it? Who does it belong to? Abraham or is it Phicol or Abimelech? Abimelech. Phicol is just um, the leader of his army. Abimelech's the king. Melech means king. Phicol's the fighter. Okay, so they're fighting over this well of water. These things happen, right? Um, It could just be that the Bible is telling us, ah, see, sometimes the church and the government have disagreements, and they have to come to terms with each other. I think that's what the, when I looked at the Lutheran Study Bible footnotes, that's kind of what they said. See, Abraham works with the government. Okay, I don't think that's the point of the story, but I guess you you could say that. See, it's Abimelech's land, and Abraham wants to be at peace with him. Now, is that true? Should we try to be at peace with the government? Yeah, yeah, it's good. St. Paul says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Christians don't go around looking for fights. We don't go around with a chip on our shoulder trying to get, um, get everybody upset with us. We want to be peaceful, and uh, we even pray you know, <laughs> that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives with integrity. Okay, so that is true. That is part of the Bible's teaching. I just don't think that's what this story is about. Okay? This story is much more interested in the business of the wells and the water. Okay? So before, and there's mention of it here, every place that Abraham set up camp, what did we notice about before, Back like when he first came into Canaan? Remember we did a whole song and dance all about Trees. trees. And there's a mention of a tree here, right? Abraham plants a tamarisk tree. Again, why do we need to know that? (laughs) What's the big deal about trees? Is Abraham just being green and he's showing us you should plant trees on your church property? Don't chop down the trees. Part of it, okay, is marking out the space for God. That's why he sets up the altar. Does it say he, he built an altar? It doesn't say he built an altar, But the tree is symbolic of the altar. Everywhere before that he had an oak tree, he also had an altar. And what you do at an altar is you call on the Lord. You have organized worship. Not just, hey, we all, uh, in in Abraham's camp, we all spend five minutes in the morning with our quiet time. Quiet time is good. Personal prayers are good. Private devotion is a beautiful thing. Um, But what Abraham's setting up is organized worship public, corporate worship. And uh, notice the name. Who do they call on? The The Lord, the everlasting God. Um, We talked about this last week. Lord, whenever you see that Lord, all caps, in the Bible, what's the Hebrew word behind that? Yahweh. Yahweh. And the emphasis with that name is he is the one who keeps his promises. The Lord is the promise keeper. He, um, he makes promises and he follows through. He keeps them. So Abraham is, in, in essence, he's saying, hey, God promised me things and he's keeping his promises. Now I've got my son Isaac. The nations are being blessed through me. I might not possess the land yet, but it's coming. I, tr- I trust him. He makes good on his promises. I trust him. And uh, these, these uh, Philistines are coming in as well. Um, but it 's the business of the well, the water that 's new we haven 't seen a well set up yet, and there 's a little bit of a play on words, which is always fun it 's always fun to have a pun, okay so sheba could mean seven. The Hebrew word for seven is sheba. everybody say Sheba, sheba. and the Hebrew word for oath is shaba Shaba so is he are they calling it bear? Sheba seven, the well of seven, or is it bear Shaba, the well of the oath? And the answer is both, right? It is the place where there was this treaty, seven, Abraham gave Abimelech seven sheep, seven lambs, excuse me, and then they made an oath together, okay? And what this sets up for us is a connection, a symbolic connection that we want to trace through the Bible. When the Gentiles come into the church, there's water. The water starts flowing. And so what we're going to do here is I'm going to just try to kind of pull this theme out for you, and we're going to see how the rest of the Bible builds on this idea of the wells of water. Part of the church's mission, I'll spoil it for you, is to provide water to the world. We are the water carriers of the world. Um, one of the, the stars in the Zodiac... Which one is the one... Do any of you... This is how I figure out who pays attention to the Zodiac. There's a water carrier. And I can't remember who it is. is it it's not Aries. Aries is the lamb, I think. Aquarius. Aquarius? Aquarius? So here we go. The dawning of the age of Aquarius. Colleen, it was you, wasn't it? You, I knew you knew. I knew it. Um, so in the stars... Uh, Aquarius is spilling water out of a bucket, and then something grows up from that water. If you know your zodiac, you can figure it out. Um, but in the Bible, the, the mission of the church is to bring water into the world. And I'm going to show you how this works out. So, first of all, in uh, chapter 21, we had Hagar, and here's what happened with the well. There's water found miraculously, Ishmael is saved. Then there's a tree planted. Then worship is set up and the Gentiles come to faith. Okay. Now go to Genesis 26. We're going to see if we check the same boxes or if pastor's just making stuff up. Because sometimes I make stuff up. we know what tree is or the difference Yeah, good question. Any, any of you arborists in the room? Anybody? Bueller? No, okay, an oak tree is big, and um, I think a tamarisk tree is too i don 't know what the difference is some for some reason, the Holy Spirit wants you to know that 's your job for next week, Jason. Since you asked, you figure out why is it a tamarisk tree? Me neither. yeah, good question that 's a good point. We should notice these i 'm glad you noticed it um, because it 's not just any old tree. The Holy Spirit wants us to n- to know the kind of tree, which is, sometimes it could just say he planted a tree, but something about the tamarisk is important, okay? Um, but we don't have time for it. So let's talk about wells. If you look in chapter 26, you get kind of the same story. Abraham's son, Isaac, is living among the Philistines, and the king of the Philistines, lo and behold, he even has the same name. His name is Abimelech, and he tries to steal Isaac's wife. Isaac's wife is Rebekah. And kind of the same story unfolds. If you look, I'm looking at uh, verses 6 through the end of chapter 26. Okay? Um, and the same thing happens, but this time, they don't fight over, the, over Beersheba. They fight over a bunch of other wells. So if you look at verse... Um, Look at verse 17 of chapter 26. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. What does that tell you about the spiritual condition of the Philistines now? No, they don't honor Abraham anymore. They don't remember the treaty that, that Abimelech had made with Abraham, and they prove it by filling in the wells. We don't like this Abraham guy. Let's get rid of him. How do we get rid of him? Let's make his life miserable. How do we make his life miserable? This is what they talked about late at night back then. How do we make his life miserable? I know. Fill up the wells. Put a bunch of dust in there. Make them dry up kill the wells. So you poison the well or you dry it up and then they'll leave. So now Isaac comes back and, in, and he's going to say, all right, we've got to dig the wells. We've got to renew the land and we're going to renew the people too. But it's hard work. It's hard to re-evangelize people. So here's what happens. Um, Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines stopped. And he gave them the names which his father had given them. He's trying to do, he's trying to bring back the good old days. But when Isaac's servants dug the, in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, oh, that one's ours. <laughs> you didn't dig that one. That We called dibs. Right, this is like kids arguing um, over who gets to sit in the front seat. Right, um, I called shotgun. You remember doing that? Anybody? Um, I, that, that's mine. So they don't want to work together with Isaac again. This is not just about the government getting along with the church. This is this is all spiritual stuff. They're revealing that they do not want they do not want the God of Isaac. They want to be their own commanders. They want to be in charge of themselves. So he, um, uh, what does it say? He called the name of the well Isaac, because they contended with him. Then they dug another, another well and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And these names all mean basically fight. They all mean what, what's happening. And he moved from there and dug another well and they finally did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth saying, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Okay, now skip down to verse. Skip down to verse twenty-eight. Finally, after a little while, Abimelech and Phicol come to Isaac, just like their fathers. These are probably titles, by the way. Abimelech probably is just a title for king, and Phicol is just a title for the commander of the army, or Maybe they just weren't that creative, and so they just named their son the same thing. Which, I, tr- I know I've told you this before, I wanted to have David. I wanted all my sons to be named David, and my wife wouldn't go for it. She said, there's enough David Uppolds in the world. I said, no, we need more. Um, I always like when the football players have on the back of their uniform the fourth or the fifth, Um, They just keep, there's always got to be a Jim Morris in the world, right? Um, So somebody with the last name Morris, name your son James, so we can always have Jim Morris. Anyways, Abimelech and Phicol are here, and uh, verse 28, they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good. Is that true? No. Sometimes the Gentiles, um, their conversion is sort of herky-jerky. It's not a perfect confession right away. Anyways, we never did anything wrong to you and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So what do they recognize here? (laughs) He's the blessing. Isaac is blessed by the Lord, and if we want to share in the blessing, we've got to come in with Isaac. Okay? So, Isaac is recognized as the blessed one. Check that box. When the Gentiles come to faith, what are we expecting? There's going to be some water. All right, keep going. So, he made a feast. He made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. So Sheba, Shaba, Sheba, they're all the same word. The vowels in Hebrew are just sort of... They're just kind of there. You make them up as you go along. But it's the consonants that count. Sh-ba-ha. All, this is all the same stuff. Shiba, Shaba, Shiba. Yes? Yeah, it, those days, it, it most, uh, <coughs> well, uh, Abimelech wanted it to. If you remember back in chapter 21... <laughs> Well, because sometimes, this didn't happen to you, but um, sometimes sons don't listen to their dads. And uh, so his sons violated the covenant. That's why they, I went through that business with filling in the wells. Abimelech the first made an agreement with Abraham for me and my children after me. Abimelech the second comes along and says, Dad didn't know what he was doing. Dad is. Dad's always been kind of a softy, and these foreigners, they're polluting the land. They're weird people. They have strange customs. We want to go back to the old ways, like Grandpa Abimelech did. So we'll fill in their wells of water. So the sons depart from the faith of the fathers. Common story, right? The church is always one generation away from dying out. right? The church always has to be fighting for the passing on of the faith. And you can see that even in Abimelech. He didn't pass it on to Abimelech. And so Isaac has to do it all over again. Okay? So uh, we have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Okay? So a little bit of progress here. A little bit of progress. Um, it's no longer just a place, but now it's a city. So one of the advantages of having a well, if you live in the wilderness, I think I have some pictures here. If you live in the wilderness, uh, if you set up a well, you can have a city. Kay, do you recognize this city? (laughs) This is the city of 29 Palms. Has anyone ever been to the city of 29 Palms? In California, out here is the military base. This is where Glenn and I think somebody else from church, Corey Asher, was stationed there. And this is the city of 29 Palms. And over here is the um, Mojave Desert and the national park called Joshua Tree. I went there with my family, I can't remember, oh, back in March, not that long ago. Um, But you see a place like this, it's a lot of brown, okay, and you can't have a city if you don't have water. So the reason there's a city there, 29 Palms, is because there was a well. And so they could set up a city and then you can have a military base and uh, you can get the stories out of Glenn as to what they did for fun. He's told me, but I'm sworn to pastoral secrecy as to what they did uh, for fun. I couldn't tell if he was confessing or just telling stories. Sometimes it's hard. Well, I know, but I didn't know if he was confessing it. (laughs) He might've just been telling the story. Here's another picture. This is from the, um, the military base looking towards the, the national park. Anyways, you can see if you don't have water, you're not going to have a city. You're not going to have a civilization. Water, you need water. Okay? Now that's true just from a, a civilizational as, uh, point of view, but spiritually, the water is symbolic of everything you need to build the city. Where did the Bible start? What's the story in the beginning? Desert or well-watered land? Garden. Well-watered, the Garden of Eden. There were probably tamarisk trees, and that's why that detail is there. Um, that's why wherever Abraham goes, trees spring up and, and wells of water appear. Everywhere um, the church goes, there's little bits of Eden that pop up, okay? Okay. Starting to see the symbolism of the water? All right. Now, let's go back here. Just make sure that we see all the details so that I'm not just making this stuff up. What else happened on that same day at the same time that Abraham or Isaac is making a treaty with the Gentiles? His servants come back and say, we found water. So the Bible wants you to put these things together in your mind. Gentile conversion, springs of water. Gentile conversion, springs of water. All right, we're getting there. We're getting it. We're getting it. Um, There's an altar built. Uh, There's a renewed uh, treaty with the Philistines. It's all good. Okay, so what now? Uh, There's lots of stories of wells, and let's take a look. This one's a, a very important one. In the book of Exodus, chapter 15, let me check my clock and make sure I'm not going too far over. Good. 10 minutes Genesis 15, or I'm sorry, Exodus 15. who's got verse 22 through 27? Who's got it there? Go ahead, Scott, read it nice and loud..
2: Did Moses- Of water
0: and 70 palm trees, and they okay, so not quite 29 palms, 70 palms. Now, why doesn't the Bible just say there? There was a lot of water and a bunch of palm trees.
2: Specificity
0: makes things more interesting. Okay, so part of it is the Holy Spirit's not boring, and He wants you to remember specific numbers. Maybe the people were really interested in the specific numbers, but there's more to it than that. The Spirit does not just write these things down so that they're interesting. They are interesting, but why, what else, when you hear 12 and 70, you ought to put some things together? Twelve tribes, twelve disciples. Israel is twelve. Twelve. Okay, so 12 tribes, and what do we think of when we hear 70? Complete, okay, it has something to do with 7. 7 times 10 makes 70, and we know 7 is like the complete time, so maybe it's complete. What else are there 70 of? Oh, you haven't counted things in the Bible. You have to count things. In Genesis 10... There are listed all the nations of the world. Guess how many of them are listed? Seventy. There are 70 nations in the Bible. So you have the 12 springs providing the growth for the 70 trees. What's this a picture of? The world. And who are the springs of water in the world? the 12 tribes of Israel the you know you're thinking good somebody said christians that's right but if we're going to stick with it here the tribes of Israel are the springs of water that cause the nations to grow okay so you get this picture if we are going to be we're going to see our mission as a church in the bible here's one way to think of it we are providing water to the nations a nation that cuts itself off from the church is eventually going to dry up. It's going to wither up. Just like, in, in. you can do this with your individual life, what happens to a Christian who cuts himself off from the church? He runs out of water, right? For a while, maybe he can keep on going for a little bit, but eventually withers up. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, right? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted beside a stream of water. That's the Christian in the church. And that's the church in the world. Okay? I'm going to show you a couple pictures here, if the Internet cooperates with me. So um, what what the patriarchs dug up in the land... Now the tribes of Israel are, in a sense, in themselves. And this was pictured for them in the tabernacle. You can't see it real well here, but this little bowl was full of water. This is the well of water where the priests would wash their hands. And they didn't dip their hands into the water. Why not? Because then you'd mess up all the water. So the water had to come down... From above onto their hands. They washed their hands and they washed their feet, and so they could go in and out of the tabernacle. If they didn't, they'd die. Okay? Um, so in the tabernacle, you get the water. You also have trees in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a traveling oasis. The trees are found in all of the wooden beams. Psh, psh, psh. I don't know how many there are. There's probably not 70. That would be too perfect. Um, but maybe there were 70 trees there. Um, the tree is also found inside in the lampstand. And I think somewhere in here, check out these pictures. Here's the t- the temple. Here's this gigantic basin of water. It was something like, how tall was it? I think I have, yeah the stand of water. It's called the sea of cast metal. So it was 10 cubits in diameter. How, many, how big is that? 15 feet. Okay, so imagine two of me, two and a half of me put together here. It's a huge amount of water. Okay. 15 feet in diameter and it's seven and a half feet tall. So if you're a priest and you walk up to that thing, you've got to look up. And the water comes down. They wash their hands. They wash the sacrifices. Everything gets washed off with this water. Guess what it's on top of? Twelve oxen. Why twelve? Twelve tribes. The point is supposed to be repeated again and again so that we remember Israel, the church, is bringing water to the nations. And if they don't get it from us, They're not going to get it, okay? Um, Just in case you're wondering how much water could it hold, 12,000 gallons of water. That's a lot of water. There also were these extra chariots all along the side. You can't see them real well there. Um, If we had more time, I'd show you some pictures. But here's here's the clincher in all of this. Look at Jeremiah 17. Here's what God says. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. And again, it says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So the water that flows into Israel comes from? God himself. Now, this, hopefully, I'm, I'm trying to give you the background so that when we come to the words of Jesus, we can say, well, of course he would say something like that. Instead of saying, why does this man say so many strange things? Okay? So this is what it says in John 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And let, him who, and let him drink who believes in me, just as the scripture says, out of his belly shall flow living waters. All right? So who is the well of salvation? Jesus is. Now, there's this wonderful ambiguity in this verse. It could also be translated this way. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and let him drink. Period. You could put a period in there. Whoever believes in me, just as the Scripture says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So where does the water come from now? The Christian. Jesus is the well of water, and so are you. right? So in your life, in your work, in your job, in your family, this is what your Christian witness does. You are the well of salvation flowing out into the world. We do it collectively as a church, and you do it individually in your own lives. How does that work? What kinds of things am I talking about? How do you provide water to other people? Your witness, your words. How else? Your actions, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all that good stuff. Your, your Christian acts of mercy and charity, all of these things are part of the water going out into the world, okay? Um, so you see how some simple thing like they dug a well of Beersheba, it's actually connected with all kinds of stuff. Um, throughout the Bible. And the great thing here, Abraham dug a well and what did the Gentiles do to it? Filled it with sand. Isaac dug a well and probably eventually the well ran dry. Jesus digs a well, he opens a well, and nobody can fill it up. Nobody can stop up the well. Nobody can stop Jesus uh, from bringing his water, the, the gift of the Spirit, into the world. Okay, So we'll stop there. Next week we'll go on. Next week is chapter 22, which is the big chapter. Abraham offering his son Isaac. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have opened for us uh, the well of salvation and that you've given us to drink from your spirit who brings us into the church and makes us to be little wells of flowing water. We pray that our witness would be renewed uh, so that the nations all around us, and especially our own nation, uh, may come to you and may know you better. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.